0: Imagine studying an LSAT curriculum designed just for you. This is LSAT Boss. LSAT Boss The Class is an advanced learner-centered curriculum available now on Teachable. It's to be completed at your own pace and processing speed. And it's designed and taught by me, Shauna Ginsberg, the founder of Ginsberg Advanced Tutoring and the host of the LSAT Boss podcast. Our curriculum includes lessons that build towards an advanced understanding of logical reasoning, reading comprehension, and analytical reasoning, homework assignments that require you to master concepts before moving on to the next one, strategies that teach you the economics behind test day decision-making, especially when stuck between two answer choices, and anxiety management techniques that teach you how to regain your mental clarity under timed pressure. I'm bringing you the entire curriculum in a set of 33 interactive videos, a convenient and affordable online format that you can use to study anywhere. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at ginsburg-advanced-tutoring.teachable.com. That's ginsburg-advanced-tutoring.teachable.com. Hi. Hi. Welcome to LSAT Boss. I'm your host, Shauna Ginsberg, and with me today is the positive and radiant Miss Claudia Ryan. Hello, best friend. So Claudia is not with me in person again today because this coronavirus just continues to complicate in-person contact. And of course, we're being as abundantly safe and cautious as possible. So I continue to be in a hugless podcasting relationship with Claudia. I didn't even bake any cookies. I just have double stuff Oreos from the store.
1: Well, good. And good thing Ali isn't there to take my cookies.
0: Yeah, but he'll be back next time and I'll be baking for him again.
1: Well, that's just messed up.
0: Well, you should really come around again. You know, last time we started with a mythbuster before we got into things and I really want to do it again. Are you ready to bust a myth, Miss Ryan? Let's bust a myth. Let's bust it wide open. Since you've had all this free time, why don't we start I with this myth. Uh, myth, you must go straight into law school. Otherwise, you know, your chances and your experience are going to not be quality. Is that?
1: Okay.
0: No. no way. No. You didn't go right in. You're not going right in. Nope.
1: I took a gap year, which is good because by the time I was finished with my undergrad, I was so stressed out and crazy and unhappy. I don't think I would have thrived in a law school environment or I might have snapped and done really well. It's it's difficult to say. But I don't think I would have emerged a sane human being if I had gone straight
0: into law school. You know, it seems like there's two perspectives on the gap year or gap years as they might be. Mine, it was two gap years, but I would never have called them a gap year. I never intended to go right in. I taught high school English down in Augusta, Georgia, Greenbrier High School from 2005 to 2007 before English I went to English is law a school. first
1: language. That's good. That's good. <laughs>
0: So I I did that for two years, and the reason I did is because I knew that if I didn't teach in a high school classroom right then, right when I got out of college with my teaching certification, that I might never teach in high school, and I wanted to so badly. I knew it was so important. So I took the two years. I work with a lot of students who never have any intention of going in straight. I work with students from Duke, UVA, UPenn. They're all taking very deliberately so, time for internships, time for big private buku bucks and buku jobs in the field that they ultimately wanna practice law in. Some of them are going in for dual degrees, so this background is critical for their resume. So I find that the there's two groups of those that look at gap year. There are those that plan for it and do it without any shame, because why would they? It's resume development, it's really critical. And they might be very obviously burnt out after busting their behinds, pushing through a four, sometimes quicker, three, three and a half year program, sometimes longer, five year program, maybe it was already stretched out. You don't think, don't think for a second that everybody does the same thing. And people that have mental health challenges and learning challenges might really be due for an academic break before going back in for a doctoral program. Don't think that doctoral programs are easy if they were everybody would do them.
1: That is true.
0: There is the other group though that look at a gap year with shame. Oh, I'm not going in right away. I'm behind. There are people that are going in straight through. Okay, well, I don't make my decisions based on what other people do. And and I don't work with people who are with even generally within the 25th to 75th percentile, that average GPA, that average LSAT score. I work with the other 50%, the bottom 25th and the top 25th percentiles. And those students have very important pro-con decisions to make about when to go to school, how much time to take off school, how important is this job that I could take right now. The company wants me to sign and commit to the job as soon as I graduate. So do I do that or go to law school? And those are all really important decisions. They're all factors in your decision. And you don't have to make it alone. We can help. I work with clients all the time to help them make that decision, that pro con that we have to do. And of course you have your own support system, whether it's your family, your friends, whether it's um, admissions officers that you speak to, whether it's your therapist, your psychiatrist, psychologist, whoever you speak to about these important decisions, gather everybody's data and then make an informed choice about when to go to law school. And with that, let's get into today's lesson. It's reasoning questions. Reasoning questions, because I've already introduced you three times over to role questions, are not gonna be the most difficult thing in the world. We're taking a look at each statement of an argument and trying to determine, is that a premise? Is that a conclusion? Is it some sort of supportive premise that indirectly supports the conclusion? What's going on with each piece? The cool thing about reasoning is that since you already know how to identify roles, If you push them all together and say, this is how they proceeded in the argument, then that is the reasoning question and how they proceed. Now that's a verb, that's an action. That's the big difference between role and reasoning too. Not only do I think they're easier because you're just saying here are all of the roles mushed together that lead to the conclusion in this order. Here's the structure, but there's going to be a verb instead of a noun as opposed to the role questions where you're identifying a noun right? A role. Is that a premise? Is that a conclusion? Was that a generalization? Those are nouns. But for reason in question, it's going to proceed by, say, appealing to an authority or asserting something or making a claim or contrasting two things or disputing an initial theory or hypothesis. Those words I used began with verb. There's action because reasoning is how the the action of the argument moves along so the reasoning structures in general are going to be the same four types that we've already learned the inductive argument four types they are causal data sampling argument by analogy and then the abductive argument so that's our overall structure that we're looking for now what's hard about logical reasoning questions is they're never in that normal order that we would expect to see you know the kind you see on reading comp starts with the topic sentence and then detail elaboration detail elaboration, concluding sentence. It never does that. You find the conclusion first. You find it as the Oreo cookie conclusion that I call it, where it's sandwiched in between two premises. The conclusion might be anywhere, but that doesn't mean that the argument proceeds by starting with the conclusion and then what follows is two premises. We would still say, oh, there were two premises that led to or directly supported a conclusion, if in fact there were two premises supporting a conclusion and the conclusion came first. So, it's not that the order of the sentences matters. What matters is what were all of the roles. And if I peel back the, or undo that weird structure and put all the premises and then the conclusion, how is it actually proceeding? So the strategy is to read the argument, identify the argument type, one of those four, and then identify the parts of the argument. Start with the conclusion, identify any subsidiary conclusions, you know, those are the minor or secondary ones. And then identify the premises. I recommend that for pretty lengthy arguments that are more than like two or three sentences, it's hard to keep track, you gotta do some annotation. And so symbolizing the argument can be really effective. For example, if there are if then conditional statements, you can use an arrow. Like for example, if Claudia comes in person next time for our podcast recording, then I will bake her cookies. I would say that I could symbolize that as I arrow C. If she comes in person for I, I for if she comes in person, and then an arrow, and then C, cookies. And if uh, next part of my argument, and let's go ahead and develop this argument, okay? So the first part part of our argument is if Claudia comes in person, then I will make her cookies. And then the next thing I say, however, I'm currently out of the ingredients to make cookies, and I won't have time to get more before she comes. And then I say, therefore, Claudia shouldn't come in person next time. All right, now, how did this argument proceed? Well, it started with an if-then conditional statement. If Claudia comes in person, then I'll bake her cookies. Then I said, but I'm currently out of the ingredients for cookies, and I won't have time to get more before she comes. So that was my way of saying, not cookies, no cookies. If she comes in person, I'll make her cookies, but I can't make her cookies. So what did I do? It proceeded- You broke Claudia's heart. I broke Claudia's heart. I started with the conditional statement, and then I said that the consequence couldn't happen. And then I concluded with, therefore the author recommended that the condition not be had or not be obtained. That would be a totally appropriate way of being able to explain the conclusion why Claudia shouldn't come in person. The structure itself, it's formal logic and the Latin phrase is modus tollens. We use Greek letters to explain it. So we go, if phi, then psi, not psi, therefore not phi. So you can just use A and B instead. You could say, if A then B, not B, therefore not A. That's the structure of this argument. A lot of test companies teach it by explaining its contrapositive logic, but that doesn't really explain to you that each part of the development of the contrapositive, you know, by saying contrapositive, it sounds like all of it happens at once, but the reasoning structure actually moves through the development of what we call contrapositive. It starts with the condition, it negates the consequence, and then it negates the antecedent. That is the structure. Finding the language for that is the, the hard part of the reasoning question. Some really traditional examples of causal argument structures are if A, then B, like if Claudia comes in person, then I'll bake her cookies. A to B to C would be if Claudia comes in person, then I'll bake her cookies. And then my happiness, Claudia happy. Sounds like a cookie monster statement. Claudia happy. <laughs> Okay, so that's an A to B to C. The conclusion is that in that case, Claudia is happy. If we apply the Y test just to make sure we found the right conclusion, why how do we know Claudia is happy? Well, she got cookies baked for her. Why how do we know she got cookies baked for her? Well, because she came in person. The argument starts with in person leads to cookies, leads to Claudia happy. If this was a role question and we're like, what role did baking cookies play in the overall argument? That's one of those two hats. The role that I that I'll bake cookies for Claudia has support for it. Why am I doing it? Because she came in person. But the cookie baking in turn leads to the overall conclusion, Claudia happy. The overall structure Good. is that her coming in person indirectly leads to the over her overall happiness or Her coming in person directly leads to the cookie baking, which in turn directly leads to her overall happiness or her increased happiness. So that's an A to B or an A to B to C. Let's talk about a different structure. What if it's two premises, A and B, both leading to the overall conclusion? How about this? If Claudia comes in person and I have all the ingredients to bake cookies, then I'll bake Claudia cookies. In that case, we have two premises directly leading to the conclusion.
1: If Ali does not steal Claudia's cookies, then Claudia will be happy.
0: But that would be an A. We could do that as an A or B. Like there's two alternatives. If either Claudia comes in person or Ali comes in person, then I'll bake cookies. In that case, there's two different options. There's two different ways to lead to the conclusion. And that's what we would find in the reasoning answer choice that there are two alternatives that overall directly lead to the conclusion. All right, in the guide that we use with our students, we have a glossary of reading terms. And as I previewed, these are gonna be verbs, mostly verbs. I threw them in here in alphabetical order. This is not an exhaustive list, but there's some really interesting pieces in here. For example, In answer choices, where one answer choice said rebut and the other said refute, rebut means to claim or prove that evidence or an accusation is false. Claim or prove. But refute means to prove a statement or theory to be wrong or false or to disprove. So rebut doesn't necessarily mean you have to disprove. I don't think people stop to read definitions all the time, and I hope you read these definitions very carefully. In Prep Test 62, section 2, number 14, and this one's kind of interesting because it almost looks like an agree-disagree question, but it's not, but it is two people talking with one another. So let's take a look at this together, and I'm going to go ahead and read the question out loud here. Music professor, because rap musicians can work alone in a recording studio. They need not accommodate supporting musicians' wishes. Further, learning to rap is not as formal a process as learning an instrument. Thus, rap is an extremely individualistic and non-traditional music form.
1: But rap appeals to tradition by using bits of older songs. Besides, the themes and styles of rap have developed into a tradition, and successful rap musicians do not perform idiosyncratically but conform their works to the preferences of the public.
0: And then the question reads, the music critic's response to the music professor's argument, and then blank, and then we have five answer choices, all which start start with the word challenges. So we know that there's a challenge. We know that it's a critic. I mean, by definition, a critic's going to be challenging something. And music critic started with the word but, and then we had a sentence besides, and then a sentence and. So we know music critic is attacking something. The question is, what is music critic attacking or challenging? Is she challenging the conclusion? Is she challenging one of my premises? Music professor said, because rap musicians can work alone in a recording studio, they need not accommodate supporting musicians' wishes. Further, learning to rap is not as formal a process as learning an instrument. Thus, rap is an extremely individualistic and non-traditional music form. There's two elements of the conclusion. Rap is an extremely individualistic music form and rap is a non-traditional music form. And we've reached those conclusions from two premises. One, they they can work alone. And two, it's not a formal process of learning. The music critic said, but rap appeals to tradition by using bits of older songs. The word tradition was found in the word non-traditional, which was found in the music professor's conclusion Thus, rap is an extremely individualistic and non-traditional music form. So this is a challenge to the conclusion. And if we look at the answer choices, I'm just gonna read the first few words of every answer choice here. A says, challenges it by offering evidence. B says, challenges its conclusion. C says, challenges the grounds. D says, challenges it. E says, challenges each of a group of claims. Now, only B has the word conclusion in it, and it is the answer. B actually says, challenges its conclusion concerning rap music by offering certain additional observations that the music professor does not take into account in his argument. Well, let's go back to Claudia, the music critic, and see if she reads it again, if we hear whether or not she offers certain additional observations... That the music professor does not take into account in his argument music professor me only observed can't uh, he can work alone if he's a rap musician and it's not as formal a process as learning an instrument so let's see if music critic provides additional observations that i as the music professor hadn't already offered
1: but rap appeals to, tradi- to tradition by using bits of older songs besides The theme and styles of rap have developed into a tradition and successful rap musicians do not perform purely idiosyncratically, but conform their work to the preferences of the public.
0: Well, there you have it. Those are all additional observations, which makes B the correct answer. The only one that had a word that would even relate to conclusion was the group of claims. And that was answer choice E. It says challenges each of a group of claims about tradition and individuality in music that the music professor gives as evidence in his argument. Well, there is not a group of claims about tradition and individuality. There's a pair in the conclusion and he doesn't challenge each of them. He talks about tradition and then as far as individualistic, um, he does go after that, but Those are not the evidence that the music professor gave in his argument. E reads, challenges each of a group of claims about tradition and individuality in music that the professor gives as evidence in his argument. He's not challenging the claims that the music professor gives in his argument. He's challenging the claims that the music professor provides as a conclusion in his argument. And it's the support for that conclusion that the music critic is kind of saying, oh, that's not the right stuff to focus on. Let me give you some additional observations. So it's a subtle difference. It's not a group of claims, though, and it's not being given as evidence. That's not what's being attacked. So we're going to end with a myth buster, another myth buster today. Are you ready to bust a myth? Oh, yes. All right. So ready. Here we go. Myth, your only real smart options in applying to law school are to go to a top 10 school or to go somewhere where you can get a free ride. No, that's silly. Let's bust that myth wide open, shall we? Bust it. Okay. So the most important thing when you're trying to make a decision about law school is to make an informed decision. That means careful financial planning in advance. And that means that if you're in need of loans, that you want to make sure that you're taking out only as many or as much in loans as you need. The rest can hopefully come through scholarship or from additional work that you can do. When you go to school full-time, at least in your first year, you there's, there's no ability to, to work. They prevent you from having a full-time or part-time job while you're in your first year of law school. And so the three years where you're not gonna be making any money, you need to account for that the 3 years that you take out loans and that interest is accruing and then is going to drop on you as soon as you graduate you need to plan for that one of the things that i often wonder is gosh if i had gone to that top 20 school and had gone part time instead and i had continued to work would the amount of loans that i had to pay off would would i still be paying them off i work with a number of students that have amazing paralegal positions where they're making almost six figures and they're going to law school on the weekends. Yeah, it's a grueling four years, but on the other side of it, many of these students are not gonna have any loans at all. If you have questions about admissions, don't hesitate to reach out, schedule a free phone consult with me or one of the members of my admissions team. We'd be happy to talk to you about how we help you make really careful decisions so that you are applying to a good batch of schools that you'll say yes to because you know that they'll give you enough scholarship money and you'll be able to make your own way through school. And with that, Claudia, would you like to leave us with a pearl of wisdom?
1: I just looked online. Turns out you cannot donate children to science the way that I am thinking of doing. So saved you guys some time there. Stay safe out there, guys.
0: Thanks so much, Claudia, for those wonderful words of wisdom. Make sure that you keep your children close. If any news changes and Claudia realizes that they can be donated to science, She may be knocking at your door.
1: That is true.
0: All right. Well, we'll see you next time. We're going to be getting into principles, which are really fun. I think they're really the beginning of thinking like an attorney. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, leave us a good review. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Find us on our website and read success stories of students we've worked with. You can, of course, download any episode notes from our site, as well as recordings from our webinar class. We just finished our logical reasoning and our reading comprehension class. We're about to convert to this awesome new e-learning platform, so our entire class is going to be made available. We're still moving through our logic games class, which will be done at the middle of July, and then the whole class will be available to all y'all. So I'm really excited to bring that to you. We've been working really hard. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Miss Ryan. We'll see you next time, everybody. Stay safe and stay healthy. Bye. Sometimes I don't know what to do. I just wanna be free, fly away, but to be fly through. Right by you You by me Everything